Welcome to the SJ Child Show. Thank you for all your continued support. You can find us at sjchilds.org. Enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening and all your support. This is a two-part episode, so when you're done, go back and listen to part two. Thanks and enjoy. Hi, and welcome to the SJ Child Show. I'm your host, SJ Child, and today I have a really great guest. I know I'm prefacing what my guest is going to be like, and it's up to you guys to decide. But anyways, I really think he's great, and I'm excited to have this conversation. Dr. Tim Goldstein, thank you so much for being here with me today. Well, I'm so glad to be here with you today. And, uh, you know, just from our chats we've had previously, I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, yeah, we seem to have really good chat going on. So everybody, I think, is really going to enjoy this and a lot of great value and experience and um, education to to share with our, our listeners and viewers today. So I'd like to start at the beginning and tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, you know, I guess the uh, the important thing uh, to start with with this particular audience is uh, I am autistic and I was diagnosed at 54. So I am one of those, you know, late diagnosed uh, adults that uh, we don't count in most statistics because <laughs> most people don't know we're actually out there. Yeah. Um, you know, going way back when I, I had the uh, the joy and uh, pleasure of growing up on a farm. Uh, so I, I do agree with Temple on that one, that uh, the best place for a autistic kid to grow up is on a farm because yeah. you can't get in too much trouble. Um, <laughs> but on the other hand, there's great things to play with and learn and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Dad was a mechanic, so there was all kinds of fun tools and toys and that kind of stuff. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, I went through school. Of course, they didn't know what autism was, um, fortunately. Uh, and I say fortunately because... In elementary school, my uh, mom had the uh, school psychologist check me out because uh, things weren't going so well with uh, her and I, actually, not that they weren't <laughs> going well with school. And um, of course, back that would have been in the 60s. And in the 60s, uh, they institutionalized most autistic people. Yeah. So fortunately, they didn't have a clue that I was autistic because uh, Tim spoke. There was no doubt that Tim was verbal. And uh, back then, of course, <laughs> it had to be nonverbal only was all they knew about. Yeah. Um, so I, I say, you know, uh, thank goodness. So I actually went through, uh, you know, got, got through school, uh, survived it. Um, you know, the social thing was uh, was terrible. I, I was horrible at it. But fortunately, because I grew up on a farm, I was bust in. So I didn't have to deal with these people except at school. Um, which made it a little easier. Uh, and then, you know, I, I uh, it was time to uh, get a part-time job, uh, you know, had things I wanted. And uh, my special interest at the time was uh, bicycles because this was mid seventies, 10 speed, you know, was uh, the in thing. They just got here from Europe and it was the hot thing. So I uh, got in the bicycle industry. And uh, so that was my first career. And I, in that particular career, I started sweeping floors because I had no skills, really. <laughs> and uh, I ended up doing, uh, you know, international supply chain and sales wow. teams and, and all those things uh, over a period of about, I don't know, 12 years or so. Um, so, you know, successful there. Until um, so I got fired, um, which is a recurring theme, uh, by the way. Um, and uh, it was one of those, I had no clue why I got fired, but uh, at least that one uh, I did have vindication on uh, probably two years later, three years later, a few years later. Um, we had changed our phone number to being a fax line and got a new phone number. Uh, 
So the uh, the owner of the company called, got a fax signal. So instead, he just grabbed a piece of paper and wrote down to you and said, I'm thinking of making a change. I'd like to talk to you and uh, sent me a fax. And uh, he asked me if I'd like to come back. And uh, I told him, go to hell. Um, <laughs> Not putting any more time into that, thanks. Yeah, yeah. You know, at that time, I had uh, gone through then a period of, uh, I'll say, the world's worst jobs, um, which is one thing that uh, I think all individuals, uh, autistic or not, need to do is they need to find out that, um, you know, there are crappy jobs. And fortunately, there's people who actually fill them. Yeah. um, And we need to be thankful for those people that are willing to fill them because they didn't work really well for me whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, but it definitely did give me some, uh, you know, some insight into what, I guess what you can say, uh, you know, what other people's experiences who, you know, didn't have the opportunities I have can be like. Um, and then, uh, I got into, uh, it, uh, technical world. And, uh, again, it was another one of those crazy things. I never thought I was going to go into it. I, I was a geek. I, I had a computer, um, and, uh, I did have an internet connection in the early nineties. So, you know, I was truly, truly a geek. <laughs> you really um, were in. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, we were leaving my wife's, uh, company's Christmas party. Uh, and she was working for a telecom company and on the way out, she ran into the hallway to a programmer that she knew fairly well. And she just corners him and asks him, you know, my husband loves computers. What can he do to get in the industry? Like, wow. Yeah. It's like, that's embarrassing. Um, <laughs> so he, he didn't know what to say. He grew, uh, grabbed another one of his buddies he saw close by and they, uh, then said, get certified on Microsoft NT. I, I had no clue what an NT was. You know, it was a corporate stuff. I mean, I'm just a home computer geek. Um, but again, I had an internet connection uh, and I found a company in Canada that was teaching the Microsoft certification course online. So I went out and got certified in Microsoft you know, technologies, uh, became a Microsoft certified systems engineer, which in the mid nineties, wow. that was worth, you know, 40, $45,000 job instantly. Yeah. Um, so I suddenly, you know, like almost doubled my income and, uh, you know, I'm suddenly in the tech world. Um, and uh, let's see, I don't know, you know, worked a couple of companies, kind of kept moving up, moving up, moving up, um, ran then the IT department for a small marketing company where we did a lot of data analytics based upon the marketing, a lot of them in banks and such, and um, ended up uh, getting fired. Um <laughs> So uh, I then went into contracting. Um, you know, I needed a job. There were recruiters. So I, I went into contracting and uh, it was my uh, first experience doing government work. And I went to work as a, uh, for a county, uh, as a database administrator. And, um, you know, uh, th- thank goodness for all you uh, government employees out there. But um, uh, let's say uh, getting a, a certain amount of work done in a certain period was not high on their agenda. Um and I got sick of surfing in the internet six hours a day. Yeah. So, so I called my recruiter and said, get me out of this one. Get me into something else. This is brain dead. Um, another one got fired. You know, another one got fired. Um, and, and the firings were always interesting because it wasn't my technical skills. It was always, I'd really say it comes down to communication. Mm, yeah. um, I mean, some of it you could say would be social challenges, but the social challenges were based upon communication, you know, and the incorrect interpretation of the communication right. is what created the social situation. Um, this is one you'll just, you know, 
I'll share it with you just because it's, it's so interesting and it does help people understand how even somebody fully qualified, I mean, I, I was pretty good at what I do. Um, and uh, I was working for this one company. They had hired this guru uh, to build a data warehouse. And I was hired then as the uh, lead tech to actually do the implementation and do the building of it. And it became very obvious within a week or two that the guru they hired was fake. She was a fake guru. She did not know what she was talking about. Uh, she could give a great PowerPoint presentation and make you think like she knew what you were talking about. But uh, when you got <laughs> down to actually Netflix special about her, was there? <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, that, that, she had that special <laughs> skill. So uh, what ended up happening was, you know, I, I had overheard her as she's just like getting down on the poor administrator about I need this whatever account to get this set up, and so I kind of interjected myself because this poor guy's just getting abused <laughs> to death <laughs> and said, okay, do you need a, this kind of login for the database or do you need a login that would be the normal network login? And she had no clue. Well, if you're a specialist in that particular mm -hmm. thing, you should know there's two types of logins. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's, you know, again, it, it was very obvious. She, she didn't know it. So what do you do? Well, I think neurotypicals would do nothing most of the time. I think that's probably what they do. They would, you know, look out for their own best interest, um, which, you know, is fine. Um, I did what I thought was the right thing to do, which was look out for the company's interest. Yeah. So I went to the CIO and said, um, we have a problem here. She is, doesn't know what she's doing. She's a total fraud. And um, the way he solved the problem was uh, very simple. Uh, he fired me uh, because... Hey, you know, I mean, I'm making the noise, so let's get rid of the person making the noise and yeah. uh, not have to deal with the problem. Uh, so vindication came from that one, too, because uh, about uh, six weeks later, enough other people caught on that she was, you know, and yeah. she got fired. And the recruiter <laughs> then contacted me and said, do you want to come back and, you know, finish the project? And of course, you know, my answer there was also. Um, <laughs> Take a hike. You got it. Um, but again, that, that was a communication kind of thing, which really turned into a social thing, if you think about it. Yeah. Um, the communication was, okay, I thought you should like, you know, look out for the company's best interest and talk about it directly. But the social faux pas I made was, I didn't think about, not that I ever think about it, but <laughs> I, I didn't think about it that. CIO's image. He was worried about his image that he had played up this guru so yeah. much. And now if he fired the guru because she's not good, that he would look like, you know, so it, it became a social thing, but it was really a communication of, you know, no, this is what's going on. And then he made it a social issue because it, uh, you know, we're going to make him look bad. Yeah. Um, anyway, six months later, he got fired too. Um, <laughs> So anyway, you know, I, I kind of went through a series of that. And, uh, you know, one of the challenges that is often asked amongst autistic individuals, because this getting fired sequential kind of thing is not uncommon, is, well, how did you cover up the fact that you've been fired so many times? And, and it was actually really easy because I actually worked for my own company and contracted, every contract went through my own company. Hmm. So if you think about that, it took me a couple of years to figure this one out. But if you think about it, if you work for the same company, but you were, have different clients along the way, even if they fired you, 
Did you get fired? Same company. Yeah. I worked for the same company the entire time. It just happened to be my company and I happened to go through a lot of clients. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) But it worked just perfectly well to, you know, cover up, you know, uh, the fact that uh, I I got (laughs) fired. So there's a a tip for people is, uh, you know, put it under the uh, concept of it's your own company and uh, you're doing these and those are just clients. Those aren't the employers. Those are just clients of your company. And, um, you know, that kind of progressed, uh, you know, finished another project, actually had gotten let go on that project, uh, needed to find another new job. Um, I tend to be a very strong interviewer, uh, have a lot of sales background. So uh, going in and selling myself on an interview is a, an easy thing. Um, actually wrote a book on interviewing based on it. <laughs> and um, I ended up with four job offers in this next round of I was hmm. going to get hired. And I ended up uh, on one of them flying out to their headquarters in Santa Cruz. And it was actually the lowest offer of all of them, but the place just seemed really cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I joined them and um, I don't know, two years, 18 months, 19 months, I don't know, something like that later. um, We have an all hands and uh, it's announced Google's buying us and taking all the employees. Wow. And so now I work at Google and and that's how I got there was uh, I just happened to be in the right place, right time. Uh, Here I picked the lowest paying job and. And end up at, you know, one of the greatest companies in the world. Oh, wow. Um, and then now, uh, and again, this is very non-traditional for autistics, but the reality is there's way more autistics that do this than anybody thinks. Oh, yeah. um, I work in the training department and I, I'm one of their about 11 technical trainers in all of Google. Uh, but most people wouldn't think that autistic individuals would be trainers. But yeah, the reality is good with uh, delivering the information that's m- most logical and easy to understand. Yes, there's that. The other part is it's actually easier than a social situation because mm-hmm. I'm in 100% control. Yeah. I know when I can stop anything. I know when I can start it. I, 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 you know, I have full control yeah. as opposed to a social situation. So you don't have any of the social challenges that you run into when you're normally working with different groups and such. Yeah. Um, so then I guess to throw in the other thing, the autism stuff, you know, what happened there? I got diagnosed at 54. I was running my own manufacturing company while I had a full IT career full time. And uh, I did that for, well, we had a jewelry tool and supply store just before that too. Um, so for after 13 years, I had two career simultaneously for 13 years. And I finally burned out. And, uh, you know, my wife uh, gave me the, you need to go do something about it. <laughs> um, and uh, I ended up going to uh, our you know, family physician and they put me on some um, antidepressants. And, you know, other than the fact that I went to work uh, that day after taking them and wandered around the office for probably 20 minutes, because I couldn't even figure out where my desk was. Oh, um <laughs> First time you ever took antidepressants, you know, go to work. Oh, it was really, it was interesting. Um, But at any rate, once, once, you know, I got over the initial and my body started adjusting, it it did improve my, you know, interaction and and such with people. And um, I decided, well, if my family physician can do that, well, what if I actually go to like a psychiatrist who specializes in this stuff? And I did. And uh, once they kind of got me, uh, you know, balanced from being burned out, it became quite obvious that uh, I, Tim was also autistic on top of it all. Um, and that's how Which I ended was up causing the burnout, right? Well, because then I, you know, I had two special interests yes. and I was doing them all and all the hours exactly. and, you know, um, so 
uh, you know, at that point I knew I was autistic. So, you know, what, what does a, a good autistic individual do when they learn about something new? Uh, it becomes their new special interest. And, um, <laughs> Research for hours? What is that you say? <laughs> that's right. And all that they talk, live, and breathe about yeah. is, at that point now, autism. Yeah. Uh, and I decided it was the autism at work that interested me because that was, uh, this would have been like 2014, 2015, where you were just starting to hear about it in the news. Yeah. And I had read a news article that was uh, an interview of a, a woman from uh, EY. Uh, EY is what used to be called Ernst Young, but they call themselves EY nowadays. And uh, she was the head of HR at EY. And she was talking about their autism program. Hmm. Well, you know, I've been in sales for years and years and years, and I'm autistic anyway, so I don't care. Um, (laughs) Which isn't true. As autistic people do care, but I don't care what you think about me if I try to contact you and you don't like it too bad, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I uh, just reached out to uh, the woman that was in the article and said, you know, Hey, I'd like to meet you. And, um, I don't know, funny story. She actually lost the email. She hunted me down through Facebook. Uh, and we ended up having a conversation and she says, do you know about this conference coming up in like three weeks out in, you know, SAP is sponsoring because SAP was, you know, biggest private software company in the world. 77% of all transactions uh, in the world go through their systems. Um, and they were one of the leaders in the autism at work effort. Um, so I said, no, I, you know, I don't know anything about this. I'm just trying, just trying to learn about autism at this point. And she said, I'll take care of it for you. And, uh, an hour later I get an invite from SAP to go to the conference. <laughs> wow. <you know. laughs> so, so I show up at the conference and uh, suddenly I get to meet everybody who's in the oh, wow. autism at work. I mean, whether it's from Microsoft, from SAP, from DXE, from, I mean, just, the who's who's of the corporate world in, yeah. in the starting of the autism at work stuff. Uh, professors from Cornell, I got to meet, um, ended up getting invited to go actually teach class at Cornell. So I teach a class session every year. Wonderful. Um, and all that came out of just going there. So I've become very involved in the autism at work field. And my, I guess I would say my spin on it uh, that's different from a lot is Instead of just talking about my story, which I do tell about my story, I'm, I'm quite open about sharing just about anything you know, we want to talk about, um, but um, coming up with ways, and I guess this comes from my sales and marketing background of having owned my own businesses and having sell products and all that kind of stuff, coming up with ways to explain the autistic mind to somebody who's not autistic. Mm-hmm. So that instead of just going, oh, that's so bad that like, you know, you get anxious when you have to, you know, do whatever, th- that they actually understand what's going on. Right. <laughs> and uh, apparently I do a relatively decent job at it. And, uh, you know, I've continued to do that. And uh, I don't know, talk to companies that I never in my life thought I'd ever be invited to go yeah. talk to. Um, I mean, you know, international you know, and NVIDIA, you know, the, uh, the video card, you know, yeah. producers, uh, Qualcomm, um, Thomas Reuters, uh, just, and, um, eventually ended up, uh, I was actually just, uh, elected onto the board of the autism society of America. Um, wonderful. And, and, you know, it's one of these, like, you know, pinch yourself. Is this for real? I never yeah. thought in my life, I'm going to be on the board of a national, you know, nonprofit. How the heck did I get here? Um, and it actually goes back out to them. I better circle back. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You definitely need to. Um, 
But it, it was really funny. It actually went back to that SAP conference because oh, yeah. the gentleman from SAP joined the autism board and suggested they might want to talk to me. That's great. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's just, you know, funny how all these things uh, kind of one feeds into the other if you let the flow keep going. Yeah. And I've just seen too many people though that they they just freeze, they give up, they they quit, they whatever. Um never never been in my constitution. My constitution mm-hmm. says you keep going, uh, I'm gonna get up that mountain or I'm gonna you're find me dead on the side, but there's yeah, no right? other choice about it. You know? <laughs> so that's probably too long an explanation for what oh, you were oh asking, gosh, but no. uh <laughs> Fantastic. No, it's really great because I, I lead into you answered all of the questions I would have asked. What was school like? What was employment like? And so that it covers everything. It was perfect. So let's talk about one thing you haven't really talked about. Is your wife autistic? No. Is that okay um, to ask? I should ask you that. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. no, you're, Is you're she okay fine. with giving that information? Yeah, yeah. No, she uh she has ADHD. Okay. She's just uh, neurodiverse it, then. Yes, uh except I, I prefer neurodistinct. And, like and we that. we can talk about that next if you want. Uh, I should write it down so I remember it. But, uh, <laughs> um, she was actually late diagnosis also. She wasn't diagnosed till she was in her late fifties that she had ADHD. Now, did we? You know, was it obvious to you know all of us that she had like extreme high anxiety and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I mean, she'd sit there and the, you know wherever she was sitting and be like ripping her nails apart and picking at them and yeah. you know all the kind of you know high anxiety things that you you expect. Yeah. Um, but no, it's, it's kind of interesting because ADHD is almost like the opposite of autism. Um, and what, the reason I say that is cousins, you know, <laughs> well, there, there's a lot of overlap and commonality between them, but the big, big difference to me is most individuals who are autistic have a challenge in really understanding and processing emotion. Most people who are ADHD are high, extremely highly emotional. Yeah. That's where it's different. Now, a lot of the other things are identical in between the uh, two. And then you have both, right? Autism and ADHD. And yeah, that would be me, the highly sensitive person. <laughs> you know, and that's not uncommon. I, I have, uh, you know, a lot of uh, autistic female, you know, acquaintances and friends. And you know, first off, I, I know more autistic females than statistically they should be in existence, yeah. which means the statistics are, are ridiculously wrong. wrong. <laughs> yes. Agreed. Agreed. And it's amazing that the majority of them have both ADHD and autism, whereas amongst the male autistic individuals I know, it's far less common to have the two together. Interesting. So I, you know, yeah. I don't know if any, you know, any studies or anything have been done, but just anecdotally, that's what I have noticed is it's very common amongst women to have the combination of the two. And I, my husband and son both have both. So maybe it's just, you know, it's running real feverishly over here. Well, you know, uh, we have a lot to do. We just have so many projects to do. You know, that, that's something that I, uh, I always say to parents when they're, you know, mentioning about their autistic kid and, you know, whatever. And uh, especially if, you know, they come from the tech industry or the kind of things that we associate with autism. Uh, of course, there's a lot of other things that autistics do that people don't even think of. They can be singers. They can be actors. They can yeah. be, you know, we're, we're not all coders. We'll find there's out probably... in the summit coming up. You'll see all those amazing people. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, we're, we're not all, all coders. I mean, I think maybe 10 to 15% of us are 
in, in the tech industry. Yeah. But nonetheless, so if they're in the tech industry, you know, they're they're first off, you, you have an understanding that they're logical leaning kind of people. I mean, you you don't hack it in the tech you know industry doing code and stuff if you aren't fairly logical yeah. leaning. I mean, you don't have to be autistic by any means, but you have to be a logical kind of thinker. Yeah. Uh, so I always like to say to them when they're talking about their autistic kid, and it's pretty obvious that they're probably autistic too, um, that you, you, know, you know that it's 80% hereditary, by the way. So it's either you or the mother. I don't know which, <laughs> but um, somebody yeah. in this game probably. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and I'm so glad that that's becoming a reality because it's, it's not, you know, put the, put the, I hate to see even put, say the sentence, but put the blame here, put the whatever, you know, it's like, this is because it's the evolution of our brains. And, you know, what happens is we change through time. Like we always have and always will. And the easier we can accept it, the better, right? The faster, the better. (laughs) Right. I mean, when you think about it and, and you look at, you know, we could take autism or we could take ADHD. I mean, they, they both have different, uh, we'll say, specialties about them. And we wind it back out of, uh, you know, the industrial error and go back to earlier errors. Well, you know, if I was in a hunter-gatherer kind of tribe type thing, I want somebody with ADHD in the front. Because <laughs> they're looking at everything, you know. Very observant, yeah. You know, on the other hand, uh, you know, for things that need to uh, make sure they get done and seen all the way through, I want somebody with autism that's going to be like, I don't care, I'm just going to do it. That's it. Period. <laughs> and now the problem is, is I, I actually think that it's not that autism is increasing. You know, there's people who think that the, the the rates are increasing and there's something going on and it's making more autistic individuals show up. No. Uh, we just never knew how to count them. That's Our all. perception has has been changed, I think, too. The, like the view of it looks different. Uh, like I a, think, a, a, yeah. Looking like this, then, wow, everything's open to see. So, yeah, I, I so think true. it's actually the industrial revolution is, is mm-hmm. the turning point. Because if you think about it, what did people do pre-industrial revolution? Well, you, you were small towns. They were tend, tend to be more local. There were cities, but still things were much more local. And when your kid got old enough that they needed to work, they either, you know, went with dad and they became dads you know, or moms or whatever, you know, well, you know, obviously back then, for the most part, women didn't work. Women were considered yeah. to take care of the home. So, but you were trained by, you know, whoever, or, you know, dad happened to know the, uh, you know, whatever, the blacksmith that was down yeah. the street and, you know, you showed some interest in it and they'd go down and say, Hey, you know, would you mind taking my kid on and seeing if, you know. Exactly. And you were mentored into it. And we all know, you know, now if you take an autistic individual, the best way to teach them something is mentor them into yes. it. Not, you know, it's traditional, write it on the board and do all this memorization mm-hmm. crud. Um, but then we went to the industrial revolution where suddenly everybody is supposed to show up with the right job skill with nobody ever training them or teaching it to them. And everybody is supposed to be essentially identical. I mean, that, you know, I can, replace you just like I'm going to replace any other machine, bring in another one, going to be just as good as yours was. Um, And that's when I think it now started becoming a problem because we aren't interchangeable. Yeah. Yeah. So to to me, that's the focus. I I put it at that point. The industrial revolution is is, is what caused the problem because before we just went into whatever career and we were mentored in it and we probably did a great job because we cared about, you know. Yes. The quality, uh, 
you know, that, that one's actually an interesting little story too. Um, you know how there's the concept. Uh, I think it's actually in the DSM. Um, they should take it out because it's wrong. Uh, that we like repetitive things. Yeah. I hate repetitive crap. Right. I don't know. How, how much do you like repetitive crap? No. And my son loves it. Let's there. Yes. There's a percentage that do. That do. But, but it's not. No, not all. Not it's not all of it. <laughs> but here's what was going on. It was uh, I, I was uh, doing some synthetic biology stuff. Uh, decided I wanted to learn synthetic biology. So, you know, what the heck? I put a whole lab in the house and uh, started doing synthetic biology. And I was doing what they call aliquoting, which means taking and dividing stuff up into portions. So I was getting stuff prepared to be able to do multiple rotations of an experiment from, you know, the big bottle to the little amounts you needed for each experiment. And some of it was powdered and some of it was liquid. So some of it was weighing it out on a scale and some of it was, you know, measuring it in a graduated cylinder. And I'm down there just having the like time of my life, just you know, <laughs> doing this, you know, having a great time. And it dawns on me, if somebody were to just peek through the door and look at me, they would say, you know, those autistic people like doing repetitive stuff. Because I'm doing the same thing over and over again. You know, yeah. I'm measuring out 20 samples of the same thing, yeah. 20 samples of this <laughs> thing. And I, you know, it's the same thing over and over. What they missed was, to me, it wasn't doing the same thing. It was the challenge of getting them so that they were exactly to one milligram right. Now, did they need to be to one milligram? Probably not. But, you know, I mean, hey, you know, yeah. I had a milligram scale and uh, they needed to be at least to a hundredth of a milligram. So let's just go for the full milligram. <laughs> so to me, it was actually the challenge was the interest. And the fact that there was a repetitive nature to get that challenge was somewhat immaterial. Yeah. Um, so if you think about it, what the person peeking in, so we'll say neurotypical peeking in, looking at this, they're thinking about end outcome. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's boring crap. You know, geez, they like doing repetitive stuff because they're only thinking about what's the end result. They're not thinking about the process mm -hmm. and the effort and challenge of doing that process over and over and over again. Um, I like to liken it to gaming. You know what? Why is it we don't take sure. somebody who is a big gamer that, you know, I mean, they, they, they could be, let's say it's an adult, you know, why not? Um, they get home from work and they go into their gaming room and they game for five hours straight. You know, you have to shove their dinner in front of them to even get them to even think that there's dinner. <laughs> um, and they just game like, you know, until it's, you know, middle of the night. Well, how repetitive is the freaking gaming? I mean, you got so, some controller and you keep stabbing on buttons and things jump out and you, you know, shoot them. And it's pretty damn repetitive to me. Um, but what do we say about that person? We say about that person, oh, they're really into gaming. They must be getting pretty good. That must be a really good game they're playing. But we look at the autistic individual who's doing it for the same thing. It's, it's, yes, there's a repetitive nature to gaming, obviously. But there's a level beyond that, which is the challenge of doing those repetitive things in you know, a way that's going to be more effective than it <laughs> yes, was last time. Yes, exactly. Well, so why don't we look at the autistic individual and go, wow, they much really enjoy yeah. delivering absolute top quality. Absolutely. And instead we say, oh, they just like repetitive crap. And then we give them jobs, folding shirts and wonder why they quit. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Isn't that the truth, too? And the the skills and the experiences that they could have aren't even given a chance. Uh, yeah, 
because they're not able to perceive the enjoyment one can get. And then, like you said, the quality that become of that. Well, right. I mean, that's the whole, the whole goal is to hit some standard. I mean, you know, it might be an arbitrary standard. It may be, uh, you know, uh, in my case, it was a clearly identifiable standard of, you know, within one milligram of this particular (laughs) amount. Um, But either way, you're coming out with extremely high quality work, uh, which actually can be a challenge and a problem in the, in the work world. Um, There's a, autistic individual I know that uh, had reached out and, and contacted me and they had the, uh, the boss had the talk with them. And, and the talk was, you're not coming along as fast as we expect of you. We're kind of disappointed. Mm-hmm. Now this person's uh, they're brilliant. Um, they, they have a master's from Vanderbilt. They, uh, <laughs> you know, they're, they're that they invented some stuff that goes in the uh, astrophysics uh, uh, world. I wow. mean, they're just off the chart. Brilliant. Well, so what's going on? You know, why is it this brilliant person who is doing a job that, you know, I mean, it's certainly a challenging job, but it doesn't require Einstein either, um, that the manager thinks that they're not doing well. And, and it's actually really simple, but nobody ever explains it. And this is the, what's going on is, us autistic individuals, I, I'm convinced, we tend to build things up from the bottom up. So we have to get every single detail. Yes. And from every single detail, we create our own conceptual view of it. Well, it takes a while to collect every single detail. Now, the way most neurotypicals go about it when I ask them how they do it is they start with the concept that's already been predefined and only go deep enough to do what they got to do. Mm. They don't care about all the details if what they need to do doesn't require knowing all the details. So first off, that's going to make the autistic <laughs> individual ramp up slower because they're actually learning a lot more. Yeah. Secondly, if you start with a preconceived concept, how innovative can you be? Hmm. You're already inside the concept. I mean, you're locked into this mm-hmm. one concept. Exactly. Okay. I mean, you can come up with a little creativity inside of the concept, but still, you're not going to be coming up with something revolutionary because you've already got the concept of this is the way it is. But if you do it the way that most autistic individuals seem to do it, which is you get all the details you can, and you create your own concept that fits the details. Mm-hmm. That's where innovation comes from, because I got no preconceived notion of how it works. I'm just going to look at, okay, I got all these pieces, and this is how it seems to interact to me. Um, and that's how I actually build and base a lot of the way I explain different things about autism is, okay, so I took all the details and then I just think about, okay, I put my marketing hat on and uh, think about, okay, if I got to talk to just the general public and get them to understand this, what can I do? And, and I don't follow any pre-existing concept. Exactly. Oh, and you know, yesterday I was on a live and, and the gal I was talking to mentioned that what her son's pediatrician had kind of explained to her. And now she's been, you know, raising him for 13 years. So it's not new to her or anything like that. But back then he said, I want you to think of it as a language barrier that you are dropped into a country where you don't know the language, you don't know the customs. And so everything is a little bit different for you to understand how to help them. But over time you will learn the language and you'll learn the customs, but you'll still have your own language also. And I thought that was a really 
a simple way to help, you know, somebody understand it. What do you think about that? No, that is a good way. And uh, it's actually interesting. I was on a a podcast a couple of weeks ago. We recorded it. uh, It's coming out in August. And it it was two gentlemen. Uh, One of them was from Israel originally and moved to, lives in, I think he's in Vancouver. He's in Canada. I think it's Vancouver. He's on the West Coast. I think he's in Vancouver though. Um, And then there's a uh, American gentleman who somewhere in the Pacific Northwest also, but not in Canada. He's in the U.S. He's Mm -hmm. probably in Vancouver in the U.S. side probably. (laughs) Right. Um, And the Israeli gentleman came up with a question. And his question was, you know, in Israel, we're very direct. The way we communicate is very in-your-face direct. And then he said, you know, we, we had this colleague who went and gave a presentation in uh, the Netherlands and somebody, you know, from the Netherlands, a Dutch gentleman came up and said to him that that was very good. And now this was, you know, Amer- this was an American that uh, had given the presentation and, um, you know, we know how it is in America. You don't say anything bad. You have to say all good things about everything all the time, mm-hmm. no matter what's going on. So he asked some of his colleagues that were there at the conference that happened to also be, you know, Dutch of, okay, they said this. Now, were they saying that to be nice, like we would in America, uh, or were they really meaning that it was really good? And uh, the Dutch colleague, he uh, he asked, said, uh, we're Dutch. We don't do nice. If he said Ah. it was good, it was good. If he said it was bad, it's really bad. So the question that they had based upon that was, in your experience, have you seen a difference in dealing with different cultures as far as the challenge being greater or lesser with different cultures? And now I've never worked with any Israelis directly, and with nor have I worked with any Dutch directly, but I worked with a woman whose husband was Dutch, and uh, they, they were into airplanes, and I was into airplanes. And so she would talk a lot about her and her husband and talk about his Dutch ways. <laughs> so I, I understood at least, you know, kind of what, what she meant. And what it made me think of is I've rushed, worked with a lot of Russian programmers over the years. And Russians tend to be pretty in your face direct. Yeah. Also. And you know what? I, I never thought of it, but his, just his asking that question made me recognize, you know, it really was a lot easier working with the Russian programmers because you could just say it's this bang, bang, bang. Exactly. There was none of the like having to be, you know, nice so and sociable awesome. and, uh, yeah. and, you know, dance around of like, oh, this is so good, but we need yeah. to make this little change to this one little thing. You can just walk up and say, hey, this part needs to be fixed. Next, move exactly. on. Exactly. <laughs> Um, so I, I think that fits in with what you're saying is it's a different language. No, it's past a different language. It's actually a different culture that has a different language Yeah. because it's not just the language portion. It's the culture of, you know, if we were in Israel, just being direct to you and saying, no, that's not the way it is. It's certainly acceptable. Yeah. Now in America, I would have to, you know, to be acceptable. I would have to say, you know, that's a really interesting kind of, kind of nifty idea, but you know, and butter it up. And (laughs) and then somewhere between the lines is really what you were trying to say. And as autistic individuals, I don't get between the lines. You know, I I get the words. They they are literal. They they write them in dictionaries. What they say (laughs) in the dictionary is what the word means. Um, But, you know, so yeah, that was an interesting uh, point. And kind of, yeah, just dovetails with that of, yeah, just take it from being just, it's a different language to it's a different culture that has a different language. And that's probably even 
war of what it is. And yeah, you know, could you and I go to Israel and, uh, you know, learn to speak in Hebrew and, uh, you know, manage to uh, learn the culture? Yes. But, you know, are, are we going to be totally comfortable with the directness and such? No, that's not the way we were brought up. Um, so it, it is a stretch. It is a challenge. Um, but we do need to obviously learn to accept no matter what culture you come from that, Hey, you're just another person. You do have different experiences, different backgrounds, but, uh, guess what? There's more in common than there is. That's different. Absolutely. And I, I think I saw you once on a podcast with, um, with Barry Prezant and I I love his representation of just humans, right? That like, (laughs) We're all human. We all jump up and down and clap our hands and flap our arms and blink our eyes and do all the things. But when we really try to give each other grace and understanding for that and each other's space and compassion, that's where we can start changing our world's, you know, problems and things is, is through that type of attitude and mindset. Very much so. And, you know, again, kind of putting it in the, in the work context, um, when, you know, I got my current manager, uh, well, and the manager before that, and even the manager before that, um, first time I, I met them, I, uh, I gave them a sheet of, uh, you know, here's 10 tips of how to uh, manage an autistic individual. And I crossed off the ones that don't apply to me, um, which wasn't very many. <laughs> uh, Repetitive behavior. Nope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That like, yeah, right. Exactly. Um, you know, cross that off. That one really don't apply to me. But, uh, you know, these other ones of like, you know, you need to be very direct. Don't, yes. you know, no dancing around. Give me like, you know, yeah. firm things. Don't don't give me the things to go in two directions at the same time. I, yeah. I can't do that. I can go one way at one time. Exactly. Um, I'll go one way really good, but I can't do two at the same time. <laughs> Um, you know, give me priorities because I can't read your mind of what's important to you and what your manager is asking out of you to get done from the department. Yeah. So prioritize for me. You know, that isn't because I'm weak at it. That's because you know more about what the demands are than I know about the yeah, demands. Exactly. Um, because I might pick it based upon, well, this is the most challenging one and it sounds fun. So I'm going to do this one first and it could be the least important of the group. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, because maybe yeah. there's another one on there that his manager's leaning on him about of getting done. I don't know that. Yeah. How am I going to know that? I'm, I wasn't in that meeting. <laughs> yep. Information is key, isn't it? Very much. Uh, and it's got to be clear. It's got to be mm-hmm. concise. And it's got to be completely unambiguous. Yes. Um, and I would say who, whoever is, you know, talking to an autistic individual needs to be ready to answer questions. Yeah. Um, because we're not going to play read your mind games. We're going right. to say, tell me this, explain this one. What do you mean by this? And a lot of people take that as, as meaning that, you know, you're, you're not competent or they take it as meaning that you, uh, you know, don't have the motivation or, or, you know, wherewithal to figure the stuff out yourself. Yeah. Um, and that's ridiculous. You know, why, why is it socially, it's more acceptable to mind read and get the thing totally wrong and waste everybody's <laughs> time and money than it is to spend five minutes talking with you, asking you direct questions of, okay, what exactly do you want? How fast do you need it done? Is it more important than this other thing you gave me? Yeah. You know, my husband and I were recently talking about, we're always having discussions of what kind of projects we can create and move forward and do all of these, grow all of these things. And 
one idea that he had, and no, I'm not supposed to be sharing all of his ideas, but I love it. One idea he had was the clear intentions movement. Mm. And not only that we need clear intentions, it's interesting where it came from. I am helping out a local project with our local children's hospital where we're building a sensory room in their emergency room department and helping train the ER staff. Oh, way cool. Isn't that great? I, I like that. Cool. Thank you. I was, I was in an interview with Temple Grandin and we were talking about ways that, I, you know, I could maybe ideas that I could give the hospital to help make it, you know, a good place. And she said, if there's any way that they could make clear, um, equipment, like so that the kids could see inside the thermometers, see inside the things, just everything clear, how much easier that would be for them to understand the process that they're going through and be able to explain it to them. And I love that. And so then uh, it went into a ne- another interview with um, a Food Network chef, Simon Munjambar, who is a fantastic fantastic guy. He does some foundation, um, like food, uh, prep things, you know, for autism foundations once in a while. And I said to him, now, if you make sure that when you're doing those, you use clear containers, just clear glass for cooking and for mixing. And so that everybody, you know, can see what's inside and see the process that's happening. I just think it's so beautiful how far we can go with this. You know, not only do we want the clear intentions of the words, but we also would love the clear intentions of the happening around us. Right. You know, that's so interesting because one of the challenges as an autistic adult, you know, particularly in the workplace, but it could be in in many other situations is people try and uh, intuit your intentions. Mm -hmm. And apparently that's a normal thing amongst, you know, uh, neurotypicals <laughs> is to intuit intentions. Uh, they, they just like, you know, intuit what it is. And um, then they assign the attention. And uh, if they, yeah. you know, assign the attention that you did it because you're a jerk, then you're a jerk the rest of your life. Judgment, and, judgment, ju- right? <laughs> right, right. So, you know, what happens, of course, is, uh, you know, we have uh, in, in our culture, and, and I like to say our culture is actually from a, a total another universe. That's how different it is. <laughs> Um, so, you know, we're one of these aliens and we're, we're here on earth and, uh, uh, you know, we say something and we're, uh, brutally blunt, which is a very common autistic trait, um, of just, ah, you know, thanks for listening. Check back tomorrow for part two of Tim Goldstein communications expert.